Hello and welcome to Faith in Politics. I'm Meg. And I'm Rodney. So guys, welcome to the December episode of Faith in Politics. It's the end of the year. I don't know how we got here so quickly. What have we got in store, Rodney, for this episode? We've got an interview with Louise Davies, the director of Christians on the Left, in which she speaks about her experience in politics and how as Christians we can be a prophetic voice in the political arena, which we later explore. I think it's only right for us to share our thoughts with our listeners about this year. No doubt it's been a difficult year, and we'd just like to encourage everyone to remain hopeful amid the different experiences we've encountered, both good and bad. We believe there's always something to be grateful for, and I think both Meg and I can attest to this. Completely. 2020 has been a very weird year, but it is so important to reflect and to look forward to next year. Rodney and I have met in person once, so I am absolutely buzzing for next year to be able to meet in person and not spend half my week on Zoom to him, finger crossed. So just before we start, we've got a really quick feature from Paul Morrison. Paul is one of JPIT's own policy advisors um, who does a lot of work on economic issues and poverty and inequality. And he's just going to give us a little summary of what 2020 has meant for some of the poorest and what we can be looking out for next year. Well, this year has been extraordinary in lots and lots of ways. I think what's happened for those who've experienced poverty, those at the lower end of the income spectrum, I think most importantly is it's really clear that the virus, that COVID, has had much worse effect in health terms on on their lives. So just one number would be that women in the bottom decile, the poorest women in the country, were 133 times more likely to die of COVID than women in the top decile. So while we may say that this is a storm we've all had, we've all been in, for those at the bottom end of the of the income spectrum, that storm has affected them much harder. Their boat was much more leaky to begin with. But also the economic effects have been unfairly distributed. We know that the poorest lost their jobs quickly. We know that we know that things like gig economy jobs, they went away quickly as well. We know that people who were living on universal credit and weren't working or were working intermittently, we know that their their expenses went up immensely so that essentially the way to make ends meet was, was cutting back and possibly borrowing. So at the end of the year, what we have is the inequalities that we saw at the start of last year magnified by COVID. And this does not sound like a happy Christmas message, but there is good news. And the good news is that while the poorest had to borrow, the richest paid off 25 billion in debt. The richest have 100 billion more in their bank accounts because they didn't go out and spend on holidays and going out for meals. It isn't that the money isn't in the country, it's that it's in the wrong places. And we've got to find ways of getting that money to the right places next year. And that's why we've got this reset the debt campaign. And that's why we've got, that's why we're campaigning to keep the 20 pounds a week in universal credit. And as the economy reopens, it isn't enough just to try get back to where we were in 2019. What we need to do is think about how we create jobs that treat people with dignity and respect and allow them to have a decent standard of living. And that can be done now. So there's a lot of work to do next year, 
but it's possible that we could create a more just society so that when we do this interview next year, I tell you a really good news story. And that's what I hope for this Christmas. Thank you for joining us, Louise. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. So the first question we wanted to know was, could you tell us your journey into politics and the role of faith in this? Okay, yes. So my background is that I was in full-time church ministry and really loving it, you know. I was in charge of all the community work. So, you know, we were running a food bank at Esol College, a nursery, even an indoor play centre. And I absolutely loved it. And then one day I had a phone call that changed everything and it was from a health professional. And she said, Lou, we need an emergency food parcel for one of our clients. I said, no problem. Uh, my volunteers are coming in tomorrow and uh, we'll get it over to her. And she said, Lou, you don't understand that this woman has no food whatsoever and uh, you're bringing her next meal. And I went, okay, no problem. I'm on my way. Except I did have a problem in that I was eight months pregnant, so I couldn't actually physically carry the food parcel. So I nabbed my receptionist, Lisa, and we ended up at this three-story house in Sheffield. And I knocked on the door and this little woman appeared and two things were really apparent. Number one, she couldn't speak a word of English. And number two, she was doubled over in pain. So we knew that we just couldn't give her this heavy food parcel. So we motioned that we would bring it in for her. We went up two flights of stairs and there we came to her little attic bedroom. And in her bedroom, there was a single bed, a camping stove, that's what she was cooking on, and a black plastic bag, which I assume had her belongings in. We gave her the food parcel and we were saying goodbye. And we were just about to leave when I noticed out of the corner of my eye that something was moving on the bed. And I thought, oh my word, there's a rat in the room. Took a second look and it was a newborn baby. Lisa and I went down the flights of stairs and we stood on the, on the pavement outside of that house and we just started sobbing. And my heart was broken that day. And then I said a ridiculous prayer. And I said, God, it just feels as though I am putting a plaster on a gaping wound here and the system needs to change. And if it's your will, let me be an influence to the influencers. And God said, yes. And so this really strange thing started to happen in the life of the church. Our church is big, there's probably about five, 600 people there on a Sunday morning. And we would get these guest speakers coming through. They would stop preaching in the middle of the sermon. They would point to me and say, oh, got an unusual word for you and that word would be politics and it would happen time and time again it must have happened maybe five six times it got ridiculous so when they pointed to me and said i've got an unusual word for you everyone in the congregation said, it's politics and so just over seven and a half years ago my senior leader got me into his office and he said lou we're going to sell the church building of which i was in charge and he said, you can either come on this journey with us and set up all the community projects, or I'm wondering, is this the time for you to step out into the political arena? Now, at that stage, I'd been a member of the Labour Party for one month. I hadn't been to a single meeting, but I felt the Holy Spirit say, yes. 
And so I left full-time ministry, I left my job, and I started turning up to uh, Labour Party meetings. And, you know, I was, you know, got a bit of leadership about me. I was passionate. So I was quickly accelerated through the party. I became the treasurer. And in 2015, I was selected to stand in the local elections. And I really felt as though God was saying that I were to leave my full-time job. I was working at a commercial radio station with the pop stars and to campaign full-time. And it was just an incredible season of knocking on people's doors. And I really experienced God's pleasure and his presence. And so I went into that election day knowing that victory was mine. And then I lost. And it was such a curveball. And I remember being at the election count. It was at the Institute of Sport in Sheffield. I'm in the toilet having the meltdown of all meltdowns. I have got tears. I've got snot. I've got mascara down to my toes. And I am shouting at God. And I'm going, God, what is going on here? I have followed you. I've given up the ministry. I've given up my job what is going on because I really need to know and in the midst of the tears of snot and mascara down to my toes I heard God say Lou this is not where it ends this is not the end of the story and so it was a really humiliating experience you know if you google my name please don't my election result is the first result that comes up of that google search but I kept turning up to meetings and I thought, God, if being the treasurer of my local Labour Party is all I ever do in politics, I'm going to be faithful with that. Now, all that time, I was part of the organisation Christians on the Left. And they do this leadership programme. And I was a bit reluctant to sign up, you know, because I'd been so disappointed and so discouraged by my election result. But God was on me and he said, come on, Lou. And I went, okay. So I did their leadership program, which is a series of Saturdays all across the UK. And it was in 2017, I'm in Bristol, and we're doing this uh, brainstorming exercise of all the ways that you can be influential in the Labour Party. And it was while I was doing this, brainstorming exercise, I really felt as though God was saying to me, Lou, elected office isn't what I have for you, but I'm going to give you something unique, something that will take this 20 years of church ministry experience and your passion for politics. And at the time, I thought, look, you know, that's really niche. There's only one person I know who's doing that, and that's Andy Flanagan, who's the director of Christians on the left, and he's not going anywhere. But it was such a strong conviction that I kept declaring it publicly. So when, you know, you know, well-meaning people in the church were asking me about my non-existent political career, I would say, God's got something unique for me. A few months later, I got an email from Andy Flanagan. And as I'm reading it in my lounge room in Sheffield on my, on my phone, I'm thinking, this is a really unusual email. It sounds as though Andy's going to step down. But of course, Andy's not going to step down. But in the final paragraph, he said, and after nine years, I feel as though God is asking me to step down. It literally took my breath away. I went like this. <gasps> and I said out loud, although I was the only person in the house, this is it. So I showed the job description to my husband, Chris, and I went, what do you think? And he went, Lou, this is perfect. And I went, I know. 
basically London. And he said, I know. I said, Chris, we've got two kids and a hamster. And he said, Luke, I know, I know. You're just going to have to go for it. So I did. And I applied and uh, had my interview. And my first interview was at Wesley's Chapel in Shoreditch in London. And I arrived there early because I'd come down from uh, Sheffield on the train. And I'm sitting in the pew waiting for my interviewer to um to arrive and i was and uh, suddenly had the brainwave you know what i should pray about this i should pray about this so i got on the kneeler and i said these words god you have my yes you know me wherever whenever you have my yes and i guess at that moment it was just surrendering my life to god i didn't know what it would look like i didn't know what it would feel like being separated from my family, but I was willing to say yes. My second interview was in Parliament and I came out later and I rang Chris and he said, what do you reckon? And I said, well, Chris, if they can get their heads around the fact that I'm a woman, I live in the north of England and I'm a raving Pentecostal, this job could be mine. And sure enough, I found out a week later that I had become the director of Christians on the left and so it's been an incredible journey of lots of ups quite a few downs but what prevails is the faithfulness of God and what God has promised has prevailed and I'm very grateful to be in this place and what I love is that God's brought me full circle you know he saw that young woman crying her heart out on that on that on that pavement in Sheffield saying God let me be an influence to the influencers and that's my job now. I get to rub shoulders with some of the most influential people in politics and able to share God's thoughts and God's heart for his people here in the UK. That's amazing. That's so inspirational as a story. And it's quite interesting, the fact, that I actually go to Wesley where you had your first interview. Oh, I love that. I love oh, no. that. So I've never been since, but just that <laughs> moment of kneeling and surrendering my life with, to God again is was such a profound moment and I think such a key moment. And I feel as though that's what God continually asks of me. Louise, do I still have your yes? Oh God, I trust you. You've still got my yes. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, that's really special. And so you started talking about Christians on the left there and um, people that don't know, Christians on the left is one of the affiliates of the Labour Party and Christian socialism has been, it was a pretty foundational um, movement in the growth of the Labour Party, wasn't it? Um, one of the oldest kind of groups. What would you say now is the kind of long lasting influence of Christian socialism and more broadly Christians in the Labour Party? Well, Christian socialism, you can date it back to the 19th century. Um, we have been a movement, the Christian Socialist Movement, since 1960. So we are 60 years this year, and we've been an affiliate of the Labour Party since 1988. I think that the foundations of Christian Socialism is about addressing the inequality in society, that economic uh, inequality. And that's still prevalent today, isn't it? That divide between the richest in society and the most vulnerable in society. And so we are endeavoring to make that not so, and that all people can flourish in society. 
I guess another foundation stone would be what, what the Christian socialists back in the day used to call the brotherhood of man. And it's seeing each other as brothers and sisters. So we're part of the one family and it's refusing to other other people, but saying we are in this together. We're going to work together for the common good. And I still believe that the, those are the attributes that we bring to the Labour Party. You know, we're still fighting for that economic justice. And you will see so many of our members who are involved in, in food banks and night shelters, and they're speaking up for the most vulnerable in society. But also that brotherhood of man that we refuse to other people and that what we're saying is that we are together in this let's treat each other with dignity and respect let's treat each other as god treats us let's see each other as god sees us and that each one of us are his precious child and so that's what we bring to the table and what we endeavor to carry on doing Amazing, and that really feeds into our next question. Um, you've spoken about brotherhood of man, and unfortunately, at the moment, politics generally is quite divided. We've seen that in the US election, it was particularly polarized, and here at home, the Labour Party as well is going through a lot at the moment and has quite a lot of internal struggles. Is it a difficult place to be a Christian in a in a divided political party? And is there a particular contribution Christians can make to parties that are polarized and are tribal? Yeah, I. I used to be the chair of my CLP, which is the Constituency Labour Party. I'll show you the scars later, if you like. And I was the CLP chair during the time when the MPs uh, put a vote of no confidence in for Jeremy. And so I've experienced party politics at its most divided. And I remember that we were about to do a meeting and it was who did we want to nominate? Did we want to nominate Jeremy Corbyn? or Owen Smith. And I was having this dilemma with God saying, God, I don't want to go to the meeting. And I was supposed to be chairing. I'm not, not going, God. I'm not going. And God's going, you're going, Lou. You're going. I said, well, God, if I turn up, you'd better turn up as well. And so that week I was praying and I was fasting and I thought, here we go. So at the beginning of the meeting, I spelled it out. This is what is going to happen. And I threw in a few scriptures, but they were unaware of it. You know, I said, you know, as iron sharpens iron, one person sharpens another. And I heard a Christian on the back row shout, Amen. But amazing, what happened is the Holy Spirit visited that meeting. I have never been in a meeting where you could tangibly feel the presence of God. And people coming up to me at the end going, Louise, I don't know what happened there, but I've never been in a place where I have felt so loved. And so, you know, being in a divided party, it is challenging. It is heartbreaking, but we are the solution because we're the ones who can usher in the love and the peace of Christ. But also it talks about in Matthew 5 of how we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. You know, you cannot be effective as the light in an already lit room, but you shine the brightest when it's dark. And so even though there's times when it feels icky, we're still encouraging our members. Would you show up and be salt? Would you be light? And, you know, the promise is in Matthew 5 that as you open your hearts, as you open your uh, homes, as you shine brightly, as people see those good deeds, 
then they glorify your father in heaven and also you know we are bringing a different way of interacting with people and so as christians you know we're constantly coming across people who we may disagree with but instead of throwing grenades at them we throw them the love of god and you know it talks about how we should love and pray and bless our enemies and so even when we have suffered offense in those meetings we are bringing the forgiveness we're bringing the love we're bringing the fresh start and you know for christians what a time to model this behavior it's now and so even though it's divided and even though it's like uh, i'm rolling up my sleeves and saying god i'm up for this come on use me powerfully for your purposes because i want you to be glorified in my life and in this party so yeah it's challenging but i think we're up for it that's amazing especially you speaking about how we can have a prophetic voice within the political arena and showing exactly. the love of God. i think what i would like to know and i'm sure many of our listeners would like to know is those that want to get into the political arena and possibly fear the westminster bubble what advice would you give them i would say just turn up and be yourself and and be confident in who god is in you so you know i come from sheffield and people think that my northern accent's really novel i think oh get over yourself and the temptation is for me to be a little bit posher or to be like my predecessors now my predecessors right we've got theologians we've got ordained ministers we've got authors we've got you know singer songwriters and i'm none of that but i do know my god and i bring the fire of heaven to parliament and i just feel as though god says lou be yourself because i have equipped you i have resourced you to be everything that i've called you to be and so if you do feel that call let me encourage you show up and be confident that you are everything that Westminster needs in this season. And you're going to be amazed by the words that come out of your mouth. You are, you, you, your mouth is filled with reamer words that can break open people and break open situations. And so just like I was at that, you know, at Wesley's Chapel, it's God, you've got my yes. And when God's got your yes, he's going to use you powerfully. And also, it's that trusting in him as well, isn't it? God, I'm not going to trust in my own ability. I'm not going to trust in my own strength. But I go in your strength. And, you know, I trust that you're going to make a way for me. So, yeah, do it. Do it. And be full of the joy of the Lord. Oh, can't wait to hear the testimonies of people as they take their step into the political arena. That was amazing, thank you. I was just wondering, as we wrap up, would you be happy to pray um, to finish? We like to finish the podcast with somebody praying. Sometimes it's us, sometimes it's other people. But um, we'd love it if you could pray. You've spoken so powerfully about, about stepping out and about unity, and it would be fab if, if you would, fine if you don't want to, but if you are comfortable. Okay, let's, let's pray, let's pray. Oh gosh, what a privilege. Okay, dear God, I just thank you that when you, when your son said, go into all the world, he didn't say, oh, 
go into all the world, but avoid politics. You want us to go into all areas of society. You want us to go into politics. You want us to go into education and health and business and entertainment. And God, we pray, would you use us powerfully for your purposes? Would we be your hands and feet? God, I pray right now that you would fill us with courage and boldness that we can speak truth to power. And God, I thank you that your word says that we can tell mountains to move, that our praise can make walls demolish, that doors can open. And so, God, I pray for every single person. Would you open doors of influence? May we be influence to the influencers. And I just feel as though God's given me um, a verse. It's Romans 15, verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I just pray that we would overflow with hope in this season, that we would be carriers of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Listening to Louise, I know both Rodney and I found it actually really inspirational and quite emotional. There's something really beautiful about hearing someone speak about the way God's moved in their lives so personally. And one of the things that really stood out to us was exactly that. Louise is someone who's, you know, really involved in politics, it's her job, but that has such a personal story of God and his spirit moving so tangibly and so impactfully in her life. And it really prompted a question for both of us. What does it mean to live a life that is led and filled by the Holy Spirit in politics? And what does it mean as a result to be a prophetic voice in politics? I think if we're really honest, within politics, Christianity and being a Christian can often be reduced down to a set of values, social ethics, things like love your neighbour, care for the poor, do for others as you'd have them do for you. Or if we're going to be cynical, a list of things we're opposed to, that we're against. And whilst in terms of the social ethics, neither of us would disagree with this, Jesus gives us such a clear way to live, to treat others, to love others. If all we are as Christians and politics people that follow a set of social values, we've missed something fairly fundamental, haven't we? A lot of the Christian, in inverted comma, issues that we work on at JPIT, whilst there's a clear biblical and Christian justification for them, welfare reform, international aid, being against gambling, they're not unique. We don't have ownership over them. We don't have a monopoly on them. You can be um, any religion or no religion at all and still be passionate about issues of justice and peace and unity. And one of the questions at JPIT that is often asked in meetings, often by brilliant Simeon, that I think speaks to this really well is, what is the distinctive contribution we're bringing here? And whilst in the JPIT context, we're talking about our work and having finite resources, it speaks to a different question. What as Christians do we bring to the political sphere that no one else is bringing? Aside from a set of values, how are we set apart? And how is our contribution set apart as a, as a product? And ultimately, I think the question is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. When you look at stories of the early church, the first real model of, of what following Jesus looks like, their lives are completely changed by this encounter at Pentecost with the Holy Spirit. That means there's a clear consequence for us as we 
live out lives following Jesus, that we're supposed to live filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit and as a product, as prophetic voices? I think that's such a good point and a really important question. What does it mean to be a prophetic voice as a Christian? I think for me, and foremost, it's about speaking the truth. And we know that truth can be spoken to correct error and it can redirect our paths. It can come to meet an individual in a moment of need and can alter the course of human events. And I think I'm guilty personally of conflating a prophetic voice and prophecy. And what I've come to find is that we are too sometimes focused on prophecy. And prophecy, no doubt, is important. It helps in confirming God's overarching design. But once we become too focused on prophecy, we tend to lose sight of what stands before and within us. And like I said, prophecy is really important because they're settled declarations that are imminent, that focus on the when and provide an assurance that God is present through all earth's chaotic times. Whereas for me, a prophetic voice helps me to live out the liberating love of Christ. A prophetic voice is able to differ because it is already existing and it focuses on the how and the why. And it really is, like you said, our lungs filling with God's indwelling spirit. And I think the work of the Holy Spirit is pivotal. Yeah, and I think Louise just gives such a brilliant example of this. She was talking about the CLP meeting that she was absolutely dreading, that was going to be full of division and conflict and generally just a pretty unpleasant experience. Um, and instead talks about how, you know, she prayed, she asked God to be present with her and people came away from the meeting knowing the knowing a bit of the love of God. And whilst, you know, in that situation, she still needs to follow the, the example of Jesus to love others, to speak kindly, to honour them. This is going a step further. It's acknowledging our limitations and our failures as people and instead surrendering to, surrendering to God and allowing him to fill us and to use us and to lead us. Um, and there's something really encouraging and freeing in that, isn't there? Politics in lots of ways really puts a magnifying glass on human frailty and human failure. You see, you know, the worst of people of infighting, manipulation, selfishness, conflict, which can be pretty disappointing. And I think it's a hard environment to be a Christian in if you're just basically living out a set of rules. But if we take a step back and and see ourselves not just as people attempting to be good people, but instead people that are filled by the power and love of God through the Holy Spirit, it's not on us to fix everything. It's just us, on us to listen, to be respect, receptive, to be willing, like Louise said, to give our yes, to, to surrender our plans to God um, and to, to give a voice to this whenever we can. I definitely agree and it's like you said, the work of the Holy Spirit is so impactful in this and I think we have to look to the Bible and First Thessalonians 5, 19 to 21 says, Quench not the spirit, despise not prophecies, but test them all. Hold on to that which is good. And I think this scripture that I've read is really a scripture that focuses on the gift of discernment. And when we're able to discern, we have to really be prepared to overcome one of the biggest spiritual challenges in practicing detachment in life. And now to our listeners, I'm, when I say detachment, I'm not talking about us not caring. But it was actually Ignatius that used the word detachment. And he said, detachment is leaving aside unhealthy attachments to whatever it is that might get in the way of loving God and our neighbour. And I think if we look at detachment in the political sphere, we can see that detachment in politics could mean 
us being open to the possibility that someone we disagree with at the start might be right, or that the whole truth might not lie necessarily in a political party or in a candidate on the platform. And I think it's essential to political progress because it's not only letting go of our attachment to our own narrow perspectives, but also the possibility that we might find common ground, which is obviously the first step to reconciliation. And what Ignatius speaks of is really important because I think once we're able to detach, we're free. And you spoke about freedom. Once we're free, that freedom that we have gives us the ability to discern God's will. And I believe for Christians in politics, discernment is as important as anything in politics because politics in itself is filled with a lot of judgment calls. We have to think in politics, oh, how do we fight poverty? How do we welcome immigrants? How do we dismantle racism? How do we make criminal justice system a lot fairer than it is today? How do we go about ending sexism and discrimination? And that requires discernment. And that's where the work of the Holy Spirit enters. And true political discernment is that, for us Christians, it's relying on the Spirit. I think Louise spoke about um, her being in church and they told her that it was politics. It was politics. To be able to discern how to approach these issues, where you're going to be, what, how you're meant to respond to these issues, for us Christians, would see us relying on the work of the Spirit in our lives. I completely agree, and I think this point you've made about discernment is absolutely critical. I think there's kind of two prongs to it, I would say. Sometimes as Christians, we get a bit carried away, and don't hear me wrong here, but like you said, with prophecy and with being, you know, completely led by the Spirit. And I saw some tweets recently about a US politician, I think he might have been a senator, who had chosen not to introduce legislation in his state on people wearing masks during the pandemic because God hadn't told him to. And, you know, I don't want to disagree with his logic. I'm not here for, like, a discussion on that. But what we mean when we say being prophetic voice doesn't mean abandoning reason, abandoning logic, abandoning the tools that God has given us and and only acting when we hear him speak clearly. It's like you said, leaning on on the Holy Spirit and on, on God through the different ways that he speaks to us to make decisions that are led by him. And sometimes that means acting off a prophecy. And sometimes that means acting off of reason and good counsel and the people around us. And it can be quite intimidating, I think, in the political arena. You know, I think if a mainstream politician came out and said, I'm doing what I'm doing because of a prophecy somebody gave me, people would think they were absolutely bonkers. And that's partly because we're not good at communicating what this actually means. And there's a kind of like comedic mainstream idea of what like a prophecy is. It's a bit like crystal ball, like looking into the future vibes. But... This idea that if we are to lead lives as Christians in politics and in all spheres that really are fully following Jesus, it's it's constantly being checking in, living in relationship with God and therefore being able to discern both like supernaturally and naturally what is, is honouring him best in whatever situation we find ourselves in, politicians as much if not more than anybody else. I agree. I think, for me, true political discernment requires us creating physical and spiritual spaces where everyone has a room to share and time to think about all perspectives being considered so we're able to consider the pros and the cons being weighed up. And then we can get into that place where we have 
that moment and period of prayerful reflection that framed a conversation about whatever issue it is. And I think you're definitely right. If we had a politician today that said, oh, I'm just like listening to the Holy Spirit and I'm not going to move and make an action and a decision on an issue until I receive a message from the Holy Spirit, then we would probably think, yes, the person is bonkers. But I think in the political arena and for many that want to go into politics that are Christians, I think we have to find and strike that balance. And for me, that balance is while we're listening to God, I normally hear from God through prayer. So for me, it would be a situation where while I'm listening to God through prayer, I'm also able to actively be listening to those around me and particularly the most marginalised. And I think that's what we have to get into um, our thinking and mindset because we know that we're called to serve communities, but we can go further. We're called to not simply serve the poor, but actually become friends with the poor. And in order to strike that balance, it's not only listening to God through prayer, but listening to the marginalised in society also. We see the face of Christ in those suffering on the margins, and we're able to pay careful attention to the societal forces that are actually shaping our communities. And then I believe from there we're able to discern our political priorities, let's say, from listening to both. And we can look at our current climate and see such issues as COVID-19, racism, the environment, immigration, asylum seekers, and go, you know what, these issues need the discernment that we speak of. But it doesn't just happen by focusing solely on God. We need to really go out and seek those marginalised and hear from them. And it is in a way that God communicates. I think, um, was it not Jesus that was leaving Jericho and he was about leaving and a blind man called out to him and said, son of David, have mercy upon me. And his disciples wanted him to leave, but he discerned within his spirit that he had to heal this man. And he, had to, he said to the man, what do you want me to do for you? And he had to listen to the man and the man responded, oh, that I might have my sight. And I think it's that sharing the balance of both. You know, yes, the spirit of God is speaking to me. And also I'm hearing from those that are marginalised in society. And in both cases, they can be brought together. And then we can speak the prophetic word that needs to be in that season and that time. I think we look through the Bible and we see many of the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah and Amos regularly speaking on truth to power, speaking on issues of liberation, of justice, of peace. And in every generation, as us as Christians, we're called to be a prophetic voice and challenge power, wealth and many different things and be that voice for the voiceless. And at times it does mean speaking truth to power. And we have to approach those issues with that level of discernment, but also not forgetting the realities we see face to face and day to day. Amazing. That's all for today. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media. On Twitter at FIP underscore podcast. And on Instagram at Faith in Politics podcast. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Bye.